Well, this morning we're kicking off a two-part series entitled Rock Star. We're going to look at a passage with which many of you are very familiar, but there are elements of it that might kind of be seeping below the surface. What does that mean? What does that look like? We're going to find out. But first, friends, let me take you on a mystical and magical musical walk down memory lane. I'm going to show you four brief clips, music videos, if you will, from the 1980s, the 1990s. These four songs have something in common do you know what they are? Can you figure it out? Check this out. What do those songs have in common? My goodness, that can be scary if you're watching those for the first or second time. So for all of you young people, we apologize for the ways that your mom and dad liked music a long time ago. What did those four songs have in common? Well, they were love songs. Yeah, I guess that's true. They were all number one songs. Yeah, they were chart toppers, no problem there. But here's what I'm looking for. Those four songs, seemingly different artists, different years, different genres of music, but all four of those songs were, in fact, written by the exact same person, a guy by the name of Jim, Jim Steinman. He wrote those songs dating back to really the late 70s, so the 80s, the 90s, and now today his music still goes on for completely different songs, but all written by the same artist. What does it have to do with David and Goliath? Well, here's what that has to do with what we're talking about this morning, okay? We're looking at a story that most of you are probably familiar with, even our secular culture. They understand David and Goliath facing the, the, the mighty giants that get in our way. But this is a story that you dig a little bit deeper into and you realize that it's not all that it seems. We're going to find out about that in the upcoming weeks. Okay, first though, let's dig into our scripture. We're going to go into the passage of David and the giants, the first half of it at least. It's going to be in the chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. It's one of the longest chapters that we have in scripture, and it's in 1 Samuel, chapter 17, that we find this story. Again, we're going to read part of it today, part of it the next week. We're going to pick it up in verse 2, going on to verse 11. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and you will serve us. Then the Philistine said, 
This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Next week, friends, we're going to look at the rest of the passage. David really was the first true rock star, you could say, for it was a rock, a stone, if you will, that helped him slay his mighty foe. In sporting events, you also hear about people talking about the underdog. The opposite of the underdog is what? The top dog. Those both come from the, the, the cruel scenes from a dog fight, the dog wanting to get on top to control and manipulate the opponent. One tries to get the advantage by being on top, the, the top dog. You don't want to be on the bottom, the underdog. That's where it's really tough to come away with a victory. And the Bible is full of underdogs. Maybe at times you felt like the underdog. I know a lot of times I've felt like the underdog. But it's through the underdog in many ways in which God is truly at work, how God loves us, how God equips us, enables us, empowers us, not in our own strength, but with His strength to face those mighty giants in our lives. The 17th chapter of 1 Samuel is one of the longest texts that we have in Scripture, and it's in that text that you will find the narrative of David and Goliath. So let's kind of backtrack. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. The Israelites, they were held captive in Egypt, and God told Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the Promised Land. But the Israelites, after being in the wilderness, being led out of Egypt, not quite yet to the promised land, they, they started to grumble. They started to mumble. They didn't like not being where they desperately wanted to be. They wanted to be in that promised land. But it had, instead of being people of faith, they became people of fear. They grumbled. They complained. They longed for Egypt, even though there they were oppressed and beaten down. But it was better than the unknowingness of being led around through the wilderness, not yet to this promised land. That promised land, though, wasn't exactly an empty plot, a vacant uh, patch of land. There were people who lived there, a lot of big, a lot of mighty, a lot of strong people. They were fierce warriors. The Israelites didn't just go take this open land. They had to defeat other people. It's, in fact, in this passage that we find a, a lot of violence that we have in the Old Testament. Joe, how is there all this violence? God is a God of justice, a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace and mercy, and yet there's all this fighting, all of this destruction, all of this violence. Why is that? Well, next week we're going to look at that one as well. So the Israelites were ready for battle. They heard that the Philistines, their dreaded enemies, were on the other side of the Valley of Elah. So verse 1, it sets the stage. The Israelites, they had a king. His name was Saul. He got wind that the Philistines were right over there, so he takes his guys right over there. The Valley of Elah right in the middle. The Valley of Elah, oh man, what a great piece of property it was. It was lush, it was green, and it was ripe. The home to some strong trees, some, some, uh, uh, some fruitful crops, and a lot of plentiful vineyards. It was one of the most heavily contested pieces of real estate on the planet at that time. To some degree, it still is. Everybody wanted its location, its strategic location between the sea and between the plains inland. And so the Philistines and the Israelites all wrapped around this valley of Elah, looking down on it, waiting to see who would make the first move. The Philistines, they were the biggest, baddest boys on the block back then. People feared the Philistines. They originally were a seafaring group. They came from the island of Crete, but they became the number one nemesis of the Israelites. So you had the Israelites and the Philistines. It's from the word Philistine that we get the word 
Palestine. So today, the Palestinians and the Jewish people, the Israelites, not always the nicest to one another. This is a, a feud that, that you really could go back about 3,200 years. There's still bad blood brewing at times. The Philistines, though, they had their secret weapon. His name was Goliath. According to Scripture and later affirmed through the Dead Sea Scrolls, he was just under seven feet tall. He was a massive man. He was a giant, people would say. The mere sight of him, it sent shockwaves through the Israelites. They were petrified. Twice in this passage, in fact, Goliath is referred to as the, quote, champion. Scripture gives us, gives us a, a very detailed look at what Goliath was like, his appearance, but also all of the wardrobe that he wore, all of this warlike stuff that he had on to, to make him even more impenetrable to, or impenetrable to the, the, the opposing Israelites. Goliath is something of a legend in those parts. People knew of him. People were fearful of him. But here's what Goliath does. Instead of leading his guys into action, to the contrary, he does something else. He says, okay, Israelites, you pick your best guy. I'm our best guy, and we're going to duke it out, just the two of us. It was referred to as single combat, and that, believe it or not, was something that was fairly common back then. You think of a war as all these guys raging in to destroy one another, but with single warfare, you only had one guy from one nation, one guy from the other, and they would duke it out. Goliath said, hey, if, 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 if the Israelites, if, if you guys defeat me, my guys will become your subjects. You can warlike and, and you, can, you can kind of rule over us. But if the opposite happens and you guys become our subjects. So it was this single combat that we find out. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. When David stepped forward, this little shepherd boy who was known for his bravery, he was known for being fierce because shepherds had to do that. They had to protect their flocks from all of these opposing enemies or maybe wild animals. But today, I want to look at our own giants, those things in our lives that may petrify us, may scare us. The, the Israelites, after all, they saw God rescue them God redeemed them. God led them to the promised land. But instead of taking hold of what God was doing, instead they became subject to their own fears. They lived like people of fear instead of living like people of faith. Boy, I'm glad I don't do that. Maybe more on that next week as well. Am I living like a person of faith or am I living out my life like a person of fear? Well, as most of you know, I've shared this uh, a few times now. In the upcoming weeks, I'll be leaving Chapel Roswell. I've been appointed as senior pastor of a church in East Cobb. Am I excited about the chapter that God is leading me to? Yeah, I am, but am I a little bit fearful of what things might be like? Yeah, at times I am. I know that God is at work in the midst. The same God who led me to Chapel Roswell is also leading me to this other congregation. We have to sell our house. That's not easy to do, and so sometimes fear can get in the way of that. Are the people there going to like me? Maybe they're not going to like me. That, that, that fear often gets in the way. Will my family like the new church? Will my kids like the, the youth group there? Well, uh, those are things of fear that often get in the way of things of faith. Am I living a life of faith, or am I succumbing to a life of fear? Right now in our culture, we have fear of the coronavirus. We have fear about maybe losing a job or when will our economy get better? When can we go outside and, and hug those people we haven't hugged for a while? 
We have fear about our health, fear about our families, fear about our finances. A life of fear will say things aren't going to get any better. A life of faith, though, will say God is bigger than any of those obstacles we may ever face. Am I living a life of faith or a life of fear? As a husband, does my interaction with my wife, does it point to fear or does it point to faith? As a daddy, when I'm dealing with my kids, whether it's my responses or, or it's whether how I'm dealing with them, am I pointing to faith or am I pointing to fear? Even despite these unsettling times in which we now find ourselves, we have a, a brilliant opportunity to show people the power, the boldness of Jesus Christ. Will we still get knocked down as followers of Jesus? Absolutely. Will we face some trying, some difficult days? Absolutely. Will fear try to creep into our lives? Absolutely. But can we show our culture that even when we get knocked down, even when things are going not our way, that living a life of faith is so much stronger, so much better than living a life of fear? Friend, are you living a life of fear? Are you following that life of faith? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you are working in our lives. Thank you for rescuing us, for redeeming us, for forgiving us, and for accepting us. Father God, may your Holy Spirit search us, even in the darkest corners of our lives. May we see the ways in which we need your healing, the ways in which we need your help. Help us to recognize those giants so that we can press into you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, next Sunday, we'll take a look at the rock star David. He's going to battle Goliath. Even that, though, is not quite what you might think. We'll check that out next week.